0: You're listening to the Revolution Church Podcast. To learn more, including our gathering times in Crossville, Tennessee, visit us at crossvillerevolution.com. So good to see everybody today. It's a little chilly outside. Find somebody around you and say, you look like you could use some church today, homie. Go ahead. You look like you could use some church, man. We got to get everybody woke up today. Hey, by way of preface, I just want to say a huge thanks to Pastor Steve Taboo from the River Community Church uh, down in Cookville uh, that preached for me last week when I was out. What an incredible sermon. Amen, y'all. Come on, let's honor him. Thanks, Pastor Steve. If you're joining us online, we're so glad you came. One of my main mentors that really took me under his wing about a year into the church and uh, just an incredible, incredible pastor, man of God. You won't find many Uh, that are more humble than Pastor Steve is, just a great, great guy. He's done so much for our church, and uh, we love, love, love having him up, whether it's to teach the staff on leadership or to preach on uh, Sundays or whatever. So thanks to you guys, too, for being so cool. Uh, It's been almost 11 years since we started the church, and you guys are always so generous with me, allowing me to take some time off here and there just to let my voice rest and uh, uh, get geared up. I feel like this year my word is Sabbath, and uh, the Lord's telling me, Hey, you've been through 10 years and it's been crazy. you got to prepare for the next 10 years because this thing is a marathon. And thank you guys for being so cool and not emailing me and saying, why weren't you preaching and stuff like that. Some of y'all, I think y'all like it better when I'm not here, honestly. And I'm totally fine with that. That is cool with me, man. Well, uh, if you're new to Revolution Church, then you're in for a treat because we're starting a brand new series today called The Last Supper. Uh, what we like to do here at this church about 90 to 95% of the time is is take entire books of the Bible or large passages of Scripture and do what we call exposit them or go verse by verse through them so that you get the entire context of what is being said. Uh, That's what we're going to do over the next six weeks. As seven weeks from now, it is going to be the celebration of the resurrection, what we all call Easter. got a question for you guys to start out. Do you have a favorite meal? I want you to think about that for a minute. Do you have, like, just an epic cheat meal that you turn to? Uh, I know that uh, on my cheat days, uh, I like, like, I don't know what the word is, a smorgasbord of all kinds of different things. The last one I had, uh, my wife and I, we went and got burgers, we got pizza, we got nachos, we got donuts. Is anybody with me? Say amen. Come on, y'all. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And by the time you take a couple bites of everything, you just feel like you're about to go into a diabetic coma or something. But it's so good. My special meals that I have. I love chocolate chip cookies. Obviously, I'm getting hungry today. We've already had one service. And uh, you guys get to go eat after this. But God, i got to preach a whole another service. So pray for me, y'all. Amen. Well, the Last Supper is Jesus' last meal. The phrase the last supper actually refers to someone's last meal that they will ever eat before they die. It's what they refer to it as when it's a death row inmate. So if you're anything like me and you had what you knew was going to be your last supper, you would want it to be the greatest last supper or last meal you ever had. It's no different than Jesus here. Jesus' last supper is the most one of the most important, if not the most important meal that he has. It's going to be enjoyable, but it's also going to be heavy. He's going to leave the people that he loves the most at this last meal with a lot to think about, a lot of teaching, a lot of example for how they're to move forward. And ultimately, we know that the Last Supper leads to what we're going to celebrate seven weeks from now, Easter, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So this is an important meal that we're going to go through. And what we're going to learn is Jesus is going to make crystal clear as he sits down with his disciples for one last meal that his death was not the end of his life But his death, in fact, is the entire goal of Jesus' life. Now, today we're going to be in Luke chapter 22. We're going to look at verses 1 through 13. But what we're going to seek to do during this series is we're going to try to go through the chronological order of events that took place. And what you'll find is the most detailed descriptions, really, of the Last Supper are found in what's known as the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But... John has an account of a couple of things that aren't included in those synoptic Gospels. So as we go through this series for the next six weeks, we're going to jump from Luke to next week we're going to be in the Gospel of John, we're going to jump back to Mark, we're going to end up in Matthew a couple times. Wherever we can get the most details and the most clarity, we will jump around. But today we're going to be in Luke chapter 22, we're going to look at verses 1 through 13, and we're going to talk today about preparation, The preparation for the Last Supper, which really means the preparation for the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Now, I think it's fitting that the title of the sermon today is Preparation because I think it's wisdom for us over these next six weeks to prepare ourselves for Easter, prepare our hearts, prepare our minds, uh, prepare our families for Easter and the celebration that we are going to have seven weeks from now where we have a remembrance of the most important event in human history, which is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So let's go to Luke 22. Let's start this series out by looking, starting in verse 1. Y'all with me, say I am. Amen. Y'all hungry yet? Anybody hungry yet besides me? Go order a pizza, somebody. Somebody. Amen, y'all. Amen, y'all. Amen. Amen need something here. Luke 22, starting verse 1. Now the festival of unleavened bread, called the Passover, was approaching, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priest and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. What we see in these first six verses of Luke 22 really is the setup with the characters or the players that are involved in the Last Supper and even beyond this in the garden and in the arrest and the trial and so forth and so on of Jesus' ultimate death and resurrection. There really are five different groups that are involved in the Last Supper. The first, they all start with a D, so you can remember them. Don't you all love that? We alliterated them here. First is the deity. The deity. In the Last Supper, you can't help but see the fullness of the Trinity on display. Let me give it to you like this, because I think this is an easy quote to understand what I mean by the deity is present at the Last Supper. One theologian said, The Father had designed the plan to send Jesus to the cross. The Spirit had empowered the plan, and Jesus now is starting to enact the plan of going to the cross. Secondly, we see what we refer to today as the devout. The devout refers to the religious leaders that are mentioned in this scripture. We refer to them other places as the scribes and the Pharisees. And we see some truths about the religious leaders and we see some cautions when it comes to having too much dead religion. We see clearly that religious commitment means nothing without Christ. You can be as religious as you want to be, but without a personal relationship with Jesus, it's all completely empty. Again, we learn three things that are clear just from these six verses about the religious leaders. Number one, religion is is envious of others. It says that these religious leaders sought to really destroy Jesus and were scheming. How could we have him killed? How could we... Why? Because they were envious of the way he taught, of the way people responded to him. Secondly, we see that religion is completely hypocritical. Completely hypocritical. The, The religious leaders here, the scribes and the Pharisees, have this attitude of the ends justify the means but notice they're looking for a way to destroy Jesus and when Judas presents himself to be the hammer for them they say well we'll let him do it and technically we won't be involved in it the blood is on Judas's hands even though if it wasn't for us this whole thing wouldn't take place huge warning to everyone in here about hypocrisy and following Jesus. Huge warning. Jesus spoke constantly about the heart and about the mind. He did not teach dead religion. In fact, in Matthew chapter 15, referring to the religious leaders, Jesus said they worship me in vain because all they follow is rules taught by men. What an example for us. What a caution for every single one of us not to just be a Sunday morning Christian and then the rest of the week live like we don't even know Christ. Thirdly, we see that religion and grace are enemies. Religion and grace are enemies. We're going to get further clarity as we go through this sermon and we're going to get into some very technical stuff, Old Testament stuff when we explain the Passover feast and so on here in just a moment. But what you're going to see is religion focuses on what I do. All the religious leaders were focused on was themselves and their actions. What can I do? How can I be right with God? How can I follow these rules in order to be right and make it to heaven? How can I be righteous and my works do something for me? And we know that's an enemy of grace. Because what grace says, what true Christians say, is we have an understanding that there is absolutely nothing we can do to be right with God. Can I get a good amen, Rev Church? There is nothing. Even our best works are filthy rags. Even our best works are dung before God. They don't mean anything. The only one that ever did anything to make us right with God is Jesus. He is it. We have an understanding, those of us that are under grace, that we are, we just got done with the book of Ephesians, right? Ephesians chapter 2, we are saved by grace through faith. So you've got the deity, you've got the devout. Thirdly, we've got the devil. We see here in this scripture that the devil enters Judas, the great dragon, the god of this world that's prowling around looking for a way to destroy the Son of God. Now, this is all going to make sense when we get to the end today. The devil is there. Fourthly, we've got the defector, which is Judas. I would encourage you to go read John chapter 13 that really goes into detail about when Judas betrayed Jesus. Uh, But constantly through this series, maybe every single week, we're actually going to be mentioning Judas, so we're not going to take time to really focus one sermon on that. Judas gives us... A great example and a great warning as we prepare for Easter, right? Judas is an example of a person who is constantly around Jesus' people. Constantly hearing Jesus' teachings. Seeing and following the greatest leader That's ever lived. But he's still completely lost. Completely lost. Think about the ratios here. We would all agree, Jesus is the greatest preacher that ever lived. He's the greatest disciple maker that ever lived. Jesus is the greatest leader that ever lived. He calls 12 disciples and one of them doesn't even know him. I think about that and I apply that to Revolution Church. I'm not the greatest preacher that ever lived, y'all. Amen? Thank you. You don't have to laugh. I just ask for an amen, okay, y'all? Pastor Brandon ain't the greatest. Jeff ain't the greatest. We're not the greatest leaders that ever lived. We're not the greatest disciple makers that have ever lived. If one is lost under Jesus' twelve how many could be lost in here today that come and hang around Jesus' people you hear about Jesus' teachings but you're completely lost because again you have no relationship with Christ that's the defector Judas and then fifthly the ones that we can probably relate to the most as we go through the last supper is the disciples disciples are included in the preparation today and you'll see their role in this but the disciples are getting ready to have the wildest night of their life. The next 24 hours are going to be up and down. There's going to be emotions. I'm talking the wildest night of their life. Like like if I could compare it to something that maybe we would understand. Anybody ever seen the movie The Hangover? Raise your hand if you've seen the movie The Hangover. Raise it up. Come on. It's church. It's okay. Y'all are going to hell. And uh I can't believe you watched that trash. Anyway, anyway, the hangover has nothing on what the disciples are getting ready to experience. They're getting ready to have a wild night, and you'll see them pop up constantly through the Last Supper. Let's continue in verse 7. Y'all still with me? Saying I am. I'm going to read verse 7, and then I'm going to spend some time explaining something that's a little technical to you, but hopefully I do a good enough job... Uh, to where we get somewhat of an understanding of what's taking place that applies so clearly in biblical times. But really, we don't see a lot of this today. So let's see what it says. Verse 7, then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. The scripture here, the Bible refers to the day of unleavened bread. It refers to the Passover feast in some translations, the Passover celebration. And Unless you do some digging into this scripture, you might not really understand the Hebrew culture at the time and the significance of this feast. Because we don't celebrate this in Americanized Christianity today for good reason that you're going to see here in just a minute. When it refers to the Day of Unleavened Bread, which really means they're referring to the Passover feast or the Passover celebration, it ties directly to a celebration that the Hebrews had where they were escaping bondage and slavery of the Egyptians back in Exodus chapter 12, Exodus chapter 13. If you remember, God used Moses to get the Hebrew people out from underneath the slavery of the Egyptian people. And the way God did that was he sent 10 plagues to try to convince Pharaoh to let my people go, as the great quote is. Well, the last plague that God sent was a plague where he said he was going to kill the firstborn of every family unless, as the Hebrew people were instructed to do when this plague came, you killed a lamb, took the blood of the lamb, and put it over the front door of your home. And the spirit of death that God would send would pass over your home. That's where we get the word Passover from, and your firstborn would not die. Well, as a result of that last plague that God sent, of course, his people are let go, and they're out of bondage, and they're out of slavery. This was a massive celebration for the Hebrew people, even up to Jesus's day, and even up to today. Passover is a big deal. It's been said before that Passover was The biggest holiday for the Hebrew people, even to this day, as I've said, this holiday was one of three mandatory feasts that males must attend if they were Hebrews that lived, if they lived within 15 miles of Jerusalem. And remember, they didn't have Uber back then. Uh, They didn't have uh, planes, trains, and automobiles uh, back then. But if you lived within 15 miles and you were a male, you had to go to Jerusalem to celebrate what one theologian says as a celebration of the Passover that looked back to the deliverance from an oppressive king. Well now, at this Last Supper, the reason it's so important is because Passover really is going to be redefined by Jesus. And he's going to turn it into a celebration looking forward to the deliverance that can only come from the King of Kings. It's referred to as the day of unleavened bread, unleavened bread, unleavened bread, depending on where you're from in America. It depends on how you say it. This is the 14th day of the Jewish lunar month of Nisan. That's not a car. That's a month on the Jewish calendar. And this is a day of preparation for the Passover feast. And once again, I can't stress this enough. This is the most significant feast of the year for the Hebrew people. Preparation actually took place for weeks before Passover because Jews from all over Israel and the entire empire would travel to Jerusalem to find lodging and to prepare for this feast. Two days before the feast, they would begin something called the purging of leaven or the purging of yeast from the home. One of the ceremonial laws in the Old Testament was as you prepare for Passover two days before, You had to get rid of all the yeast in the house. Yes, yeast that you like make bread out of, any bread that's made out of yeast, and they would have to purge it. And they actually started a tradition with the children called the Search for Leaven where the adults would hide yeast in the house, and the kids would have to go find it. You can see where we get some of our traditions uh, for hiding Easter eggs. Uh, I think Easter eggs are better because they have chocolate in them. You know what I'm saying? Uh, than leaven or yeast, right? And so this is where we get a lot of these traditions from. Now, the Passover lamb that was going to be sacrificed for the Passover event, just like they did in the Old Testament, was usually secured by the 10th day of the month. Now, that's significant because you need to think about this. This means that the lamb that you were going to sacrifice for Passover would live in your home most likely for a minimum of 14 days. Can you imagine living in a studio basically with your kids, you bring this little lamb home, your kids get connected to it, within two weeks it may become almost like a family pet and the conversation you would have to have with your kids of, yeah, we got to kill the sheep that you've already named and how awkward that would be. I think that would be good for some of us to know where our food comes from and maybe have to slaughter some of it I think some people just think it shows up at the grocery store out of nowhere but it doesn't somebody has to raise it somebody has to kill it to give you an idea of how many people would come to the city of Jerusalem Josephus once wrote that one Passover at one Passover there were he estimated 256,000 lambs that were slaughtered from that estimation scholars believe that And upwards of two and a half million people would make it to the city of Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. Now along with the lamb, they would also have to collect bitter herbs, uh, unleavened bread. Uh, There's four cups of wine that symbolize things. We might get into those as we go through this series. All the uh, symbolic nature of everything that they ate. They had different things that they ate that all represented something. But on the day that the lamb was slaughtered at midday... All work would come to the end for the Hebrew people. Everyone would go to the temple with their lamb. At 3 p.m., a Levite Hebrew would blow a ram's horn, and then the worshipers would fill the temple court at the temple. And each family representative for each Hebrew family that was celebrating Passover would kill the lamb that they brought, they would skin it, and they would drain its blood into a basin. A priest took the blood, splashed it against the base of the altar, which represented and was for what they called the atonement of sin. The fat and kidneys were burned on the altar as part of a peace offering, and all this was done to affirm good relations between God and the representative's entire family. In other words, they paid for their sins and had peace with God as a result of going through all of these ceremonial laws of slaying a lamb and splashing the blood and so on and so forth. Uh, along with that as well, uh, most families would take the blood from the lamb and just like in the Old Testament, they would put some of the blood on the doorpost of the main entrance of the door that they were staying at. I'll explain all this to you, and it's pretty complicated. This is a 30,000 foot view of what took place during Passover. Over the last two weeks, as I prayed about this and thought about this, I'm going to be totally honest with you. The thought that kept coming to my mind was thank God for Jesus. Thank God for the new covenant that we are under as a result of Christ. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it tells us that Jesus is. Our Passover Lamb. Again, Jesus is redefining the Passover as we look at the Last Supper, and he's changing it to have such a greater meaning than it already even did. If you notice the graphic for this series that we used, we've got it on a movie poster outside, we've been posting it online. It's the iconic painting that Da Vinci made of the Last Supper. If you guys could put that painting up, this is it. Everybody in here has seen this painting before. Again, very, very popular painting. Uh, Many people have made T-shirts of Jesus in the middle. Um, I read some things online about this that uh, did Jesus, you know, there's 13 people there. Did he ask for a table of 26 because they're all sitting on one side of the table? Y'all know what I mean? Somebody said that Jesus must have looked at the disciples and said, hey, everybody get on this side of the table if you want to be in the painting. Kind of like a selfie, y'all know what I'm saying? Do you guys know, (laughs) um, I don't know if I should say this. Do you guys know what the cannibal said at the last supper? Pass the bread. I'm sorry, y'all. I'm sorry. I thought that was funny. Y'all are laughing a little. Y'all are giving me the death stare over here. Goodness gracious. In this painting, it's been noted that one of the main traditions of Passover seems to not have been followed. After each family would kill the lamb, use its blood, go through all the ceremonial laws, they would then take the lamb home and roast it and eat it as part of what they called the Passover feast. Well, nowhere in Scripture, and this is really speculation, but nowhere in Scripture does it tell us that the disciples secured a lamb And went and slaughtered it and brought it to the feast. Now, did they? Most likely they did because it also doesn't tell us that they went and gathered wine and all those things that we know that they used. But in Da Vinci's painting, there's no lamb. And many people have said the reason for that is because Jesus is making sure that the disciples understand I am the Passover lamb. I am the final sacrifice that is needed for the atonement of sins and for people to have peace with God. Thank God for Jesus, y'all. Thank God that Jesus is the Passover lamb. Thank God that He is the final sacrifice for the atonement of sin, as it says in Hebrews. Thank God that Jesus is our peace, as it says in Ephesians chapter 2. Thank God that He is our mediator, as it says in 1 Timothy chapter 2. His sacrifice is the only one that could satisfy the wrath of God for sin. And His death is the payment for our sin. And I thank God for Jesus because now we are under a new covenant. The themes of Passover were death, Kill a lamb and substitution, payment for your sins so you can have peace with God. Well, Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection is our substitution. Amen, Rev. Church. A couple weeks ago, I went to eat Mexican food. I don't know why I'm talking about food so much. Last Supper, I don't know what it is, but I mean, y'all like Mexican up in here. Raise your hand. Yeah, yeah, I went to La Costa and we had a meal, me and my wife and my kids. It was awesome. And there was a couple from the church that was there and we went to pay for our meal and they had already paid for it. Now if that has never happened to you, there is nothing like eating free food versus food you pay for. (laughs) And is there a little regret of, man, I should have got the steak and a dessert to go. Maybe, (laughs) I don't know, you know, I don't know. But man, it feels incredible when somebody does that for you, and if that's never happened to you, I pray somebody blesses you one day that knows you, and you walk up and try to pay your bill and it's already been covered. What we want you to know here at Revolution Church, this is the good news. You think it's incredible when somebody pays for your meal? Try having Jesus pay for your sin. Try having Jesus be the atonement for your sin so you no longer have to try in your strength, remember the devout, You no longer have to follow rules in order to be saved and know that you're going to heaven. Now, do we? Yeah. But grace is not, oh, I have to follow the rules so God will love me and let me into heaven. Grace is, I get to follow the rules because God loves me and he's letting me into heaven. It's a totally different perspective. And it's incredible that Jesus has done this for us. Thank God for Jesus. 613 Old Testament Levitical laws. Maybe you've heard people disparage these laws and make fun of these laws. Let me explain something to you when it comes to the 613 Levitical laws. There's one category of laws known as the moral laws which we still fall under today. And everyone knows this. Everyone has a conscience. Even if you're not a believer in here, you know that you should follow the moral law and we should all follow these things. In other words, Ten Commandments, right? Don't murder don't lie. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Everyone knows the moral laws were to follow, but because of Jesus and because of the new covenant, we no longer are bound to what's known as the ceremonial laws. In other words, I'm so glad that on Easter we get together. We eat some chocolate from some eggs. We we get uh, uh, Reese's. Uh, peanut butter eggs. Amen, y'all? Again, going hard in the paint on the food today. And we come in and we celebrate, but we don't have to go get a lamb that stays in our house for two weeks and got to cut its head off and all that stuff and explain it to the kids. We don't have to go through those laws because Jesus is the final Passover lamb. Amen, Rev. Church. It's so good. Let's continue and let's see the rest of the preparation where now we see the disciples get involved uh, in Verse 8. Y'all still with me? Say I am. I'm doing pretty good on time. How many of y'all think I'm going to get done on time? I don't know. Anybody think I'm going to get done on time? Got one more point. Y'all are smart. A couple of y'all. A couple of y'all raised your hand. You're liars, but you know. (laughs) Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? They asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Very unusual for the time. This was not men's work. This was women's work. Okay, Just understand this. Remember the woman at the well? She was getting water. This is what women did. Okay, Example, example in the scriptures. Traditionally, men did not carry water. So this is very unusual. It says, follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. Again, very unusual. Remember I told you 2.5 million people coming to Jerusalem. Any extra lodging, most of the time it was a room that was built above someone's house. And they would rent that out to people that would pay them in order to uh, be able to celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem. And here we are last minute. And Jesus knows Some unusual, there's a guy carrying water. That's not men's work, that's women's work. And he's going to have a huge open room that's completely furnished for us to be able to celebrate the Passover and have the Passover feast. When I read this and understood the context of it, I couldn't help but think about the sovereignty of God. Now, it seems so simple. Go find a guy carrying water. He'll have a big room upstairs. But it's so incredible that throughout the totality of the Last Supper, through the Garden of Gethsemane, with Jesus' death on the cross all the way to his resurrection. Jesus is in complete control the entire time. Providing everything they need. Really planning every detail of his life in accordance with the Father and the plan that God had. Read some commentaries, even from some Christians, that would lead towards some people saying that The Jewish leaders had the majority of the influence as these events start to take place. The the devil had so much influence in everything that was taking place during this. Judas was the number one reason that Jesus went to the cross. The rabble crowd, which is what the scripture refers to him as, those people that at Jesus' trial yelled crucify him, crucify, they're ultimately responsible for Jesus' death. Or the Romans, they were the ones that really had the card that they could play, where they were the ones in control, and they were make absolutely no mistake about it. Jesus is in control the entire time. This is a small detail that shows the power of God, and the doctrine is called the sovereignty of God In everything that takes place in Jesus' life that leads to his death and leads to his resurrection, I couldn't help but think as I read this to be encouraged. To be encouraged that, man, if Jesus made sure they had a room to have the Passover, how encouraged do I need to be in my life? I mean, Jesus said stuff like, Why are you worried? I take care of the birds. Birds, man. I had a a woodpecker outside my window this week ruining my cherry tree in my front yard. Stupid birds. Everybody say stupid birds. Birds. Jesus cares about them. I hate them. He cares about them. I hate cats more though. Okay, y'all? I'm just kidding. If you're new, that's a joke. But it is true. Okay. (laughs) they are minions of Satan. Amen, y'all. He provides for the birds of the air. He's going to provide for me. Somebody here this weekend just needs to be encouraged. And you need to know God is in control. Trust Him. Don't lose your mind. Don't start trying to do things in your strength. Trust Him give you some scriptures maybe take pictures of these if you need to be encouraged this weekend these are some of my favorites that I try to as we said two weeks ago the Rema, the spoken word I try to speak in my life if you're going to get a tattoo one of these scriptures is a good tattoo to get okay y'all Isaiah 12 2 behold God my salvation I will trust and not be afraid for the Lord God is my strength and my song God is our salvation God is our strength. God is our song. Can I get a good amen, Rev. Church? I don't know about y'all, but that makes me feel good. 2024, election year. Press conferences off the rails on both sides. My salvation don't come from Washington, D.C. Amen, Amen, y'all? It does not come. My, My song does not come from a political candidate. My strength does not come from a political party. It comes from God. Proverbs chapter 3, 5. Very well known verse. This is the AMP version that I like. Trust in and rely confidently on the Lord with all your heart. And do not rely on your own insight or understanding. Do not rely on your own insight or understanding. As I read... The Last Supper and these final moments before Jesus ultimately goes to the cross, I can't help but think the disciples were totally confused. They thought the Messiah was going to be a great warrior that militarily would defeat the Romans. And here Jesus is saying, no, I'm going to lay my life down. How confused were they? How much did they need to trust God and rely confidently on On the Lord with all their heart. And it's the same thing for us. If you're here this weekend, you're watching online this weekend, and man, you feel confused. You don't understand. How could the doctor give me this report? This came out of the blue. The encouragement this weekend is to rely on God. Trust in Him, not in your own understanding. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, another well-known verse. And we know with great confidence that God, who is deeply concerned about us, causes all things to work together as a plan for good for those who love God to those who are called according to His plan and His purpose. Satan enters Judas. Religious leaders trying to murder Jesus. People that a week earlier were welcoming Jesus in, saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, on Palm Sunday, now are yelling, Hosanna crucify him God uses every bit of it for his plan and his purpose God uses every bit of it for his plan and his purpose just like he does for us Romans 15 13 last one I'll give you may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing through the experience of your faith that by the power of the Holy Spirit You will abound in hope and overflow with confidence in His promises. I'm so glad that our hope, our joy comes from God. Listen, y'all, I'm so glad that my hope and my joy does not come from a sports team. Is everybody with me? Say amen. amen. I love UT football. But boy, if I put my hope in them to win a national championship for my happiness... I'm screwed, y'all. Y'all know what I mean? I love my kids. I love them. They're great kids. But they do a lot of dumb stuff. My hope and my joy does not come from them. And every parent said, that was way too weak, y'all. Parents, this is your time to get back at them. If you're a teenager sitting next to you, you need to look at them and say, Amen! Being an idiot. Our joy and our hope comes from God. What an example for us. What an example for us. That in the preparation, we see God's sovereign hand on everything that is taking place. Amen, Rev. Church. Let me pray for you. Lord, we love you. We thank you for today. Thank you for your scripture. Thank you for your word. God, lead me and guide me as we go through this series. And we try to prepare ourselves for Easter. What we call and refer to as Resurrection Sunday. As we prepare for communion a couple weeks from now, I pray that it is not a religious thing where we go through the motions. As we talk about what servanthood is and we talk about washing feet. As we talk about who Jesus said is the greatest as we talk about doubt and denying Jesus, as we talk about what it means to praise God through song, which is the last thing Jesus did with his disciples right before he went to the garden. Lead us and guide us. Prepare our hearts. I pray for anybody in here that does not know Christ, that they do business with the one that created them have a relationship with him. We love you. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Amen. We love you guys. You're dismissed. If you're encouraged by today's message, be sure and rate us and subscribe on iTunes.